Thank you. Great congratulations on eight years. Uh, what God has done, something that we're involved with, church planting. We're actually involved with church planting in a place called Monmouth County down at the New Jersey Shore. It's an area that hasn't been planted in 120 years. So I'm not sitting somewhere at a desk trying to figure out what to do, but Janine and I are involved with doing exactly what you're doing. And we know that uh, the Lord is with you. So it's great to be here today. I really want to encourage you. You know, I get to work with churches that are being planted, and I get to coach churches. And my thought for you, and I think there's a theme here this morning about new and about new things and new wine. Uh, to the worship team, I suggested to them, by the way, God needs all our ages, but there's a lot of young folks here. And I really wanted to encourage them to lean into what God may be speaking in and through their generation to see something very special occur here. So when you think about what is a church, if you look at my generation or something that's down the street and think that we've got to copy that, I want to encourage you to be organic, organic in Jesus. And why I say that is because I believe that the Lord is doing something new here, and you're involved with it. You've got thoughts and ideas that others haven't come up with. My daughter, our daughter, Elizabeth, well, she works in Philadelphia, and she has a group of people, kind of like a tribe in Philly. She went to an art school, and she's doing some stuff. But it's fascinating with that generation, if I may say, one person's making their own jeans, and they started a jean company. They're kind of craftspeople. Another person's working in leather, doing it from scratch. So this whole idea, literally, of being craft and being artisanal is something that's very real. It's hands-on. It's not corporate. It's not mechanized. And I want to encourage you, if I may use a word, to be kind of like a craft church. Crafted by hands, not our hands, but by his hands. But you know, those hands that are his hands, he uses your hands and he uses my hands. So my big thought today is I would like each person in this room to realize they are important. And the thoughts and the dreams that you have on your heart, please bring them forward. Because the Lord doesn't want us to copy something else. Am I right on that? The Lord is doing something new here. And in order to establish and experience that newness, you've got to be willing to walk with Jesus. You remember one day the Lord was seeing this man and he was blind and he wanted to see. And what Jesus did is he, he went and he kind of spit. And he, and he took some dirt and he put it on the person's eyes. And the person was healed. But a friend of mine once said, can you imagine for the six months after that, how many people tried the same thing? Because they thought just by copying something that Jesus did earlier that they'd get the same results. But the reality is I don't believe I wasn't there that not many experienced it because it was something fresh in Jesus. Let's be fresh in Jesus, am I right? So today we're going to be there because I believe in, in keeping things simple. 
involved in this church plant. We have groups. I see you're starting groups. And we started some of the guys, because we need groups, decided let's meet on Tuesday nights. And so I go down there. And last week, just to keep it simple, Tim, all we talked about is how to talk. And it went for three hours. I guess it takes three hours for us to figure out how to talk. I've never been in a guy's group that went so long, so fast. And these people, some of them were commodity traders, and some people were in fashion in New York City. Other people had companies, and we're sitting there saying, how do we talk? And for three hours, we were trying to figure that all out. So these groups are really good. I believe in keeping things simple. So today I want to talk a little bit about how to keep things simple in life. You know, times in these days are very different than they were years ago. When I was some of your ages, we was on the tail end of something called the Jesus Movement. I say, what was that all about? But back then they had these people called hippies. So the church that I got saved in, in Asbury Park, New Jersey, I had a summer job on the boardwalk. One spin, one win takes choice. Back then it was cigarettes for your bets. It was a summer job. I never thought I'd find God. God found me. The furthest thing from my mind, the church I got involved with was an organic craft church. A third of them were former motorcycle guys with the pagans. They ran the Hells Angels out of Jersey. Number two, a bunch of hippies, always interesting people. And number three, kind of normal folks. And, and together with all of that, we tried to figure out how do we make church? What is it all like? And, you know, that's always become the model for me of what a local church. So let's discover something. Let's lean into it. Let's realize that we have ideas, and the ideas will get tested out by other people, but you've got something in you that we need to hear, and that's what will make this what it can be. So, so how did this all work? Well, I'm going to just share some verses because there's a real divine principle in some very simple words that we read in Scripture that for me helps me to understand how to be a follower of Jesus in a really complex world. This world, this time, it is almost easy to shred our souls wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Turn on television, turn everywhere, and it is just sometimes so difficult because of everything that our world is going through. Jesus said in the last days, he mentioned things that were going to be happening, and it seems like these things are happening. How do we go to work? How do we live in our world? How do we bring change and be a follower of Jesus? Well, very simply, in Matthew chapter 10, we read simply these things. He called his disciples to himself. Bing, number one. And he gave them authority, gave them authority at that point to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then these 12 he sent out with the following instructions. So if I could get the next slide, it, it kind of goes like this. And I put a little bit of yellow for these three kind of verbs. Jesus called his 12 disciples to himself. Number one, and then he gave them something. He gave them authority. And to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then the word says these are the 12 people. Well, you, you can disciples. 
And then at the end it says in, in verse 5, and these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. And then we're going to read that as we close today. And so when I look at that, the first, pers- the first piece is always this, that Jesus called his disciples where? To himself. Not to a theory, not to a church organization, not even to the synagogue, not to a doctrine, not to some corporate whatever. He called people to himself. You know, when we make Christianity and reduce it down to a theory or some kind of system, we make a mistake if that's what we communicate to people. Jesus is all about calling people to himself. You, me. He walked the seashore. He saw people in trees. He saw people who had gone through hard things in life. He didn't judge them. He just wanted relationship with them. Many of them were not seeking him. He was seeking them. And he'd found them, and their lives were changed, and then he called them to himself. I remember when God called me to himself, a summer job in college, on a boardwalk in hard Asbury Park. Tough people walking by. Andre the Giant walked by. You know that guy from The Princess Bride? That guy walked by me. I said, that's the tallest person I've ever seen in my life. But it was a wild time in Asbury Park. And then God reached out to me in some ways that so showed me his reality, I could do nothing but bow my simple knee to him and say, you are God and you got me for the rest of my life. So he calls people to himself. You think for a moment, if Christianity's just church, if it's just doctrine, if it's just some kind of morality thing, we're missing the beauty of what the fatherhood of God wanted to do, which is to draw you as a son and to draw you as a daughter. Yeah, you and you. You say, well, but, but I've done stuff. We've all done stuff. I keep doing stuff. We all fall short. So, well, maybe he doesn't want to see me. He does want to see you. Well, maybe I've done too much. No, no, no. The, the times that are the roughest are the times he wants to see us the most. Just to crack us? No. Just to embrace us. Because it's the kindness of God, not the severity of God, that leads us to that beautiful piece of change of mind of metanoia. Well, well what does that look like? Next slide, if I would. Because these are some of the pieces that I see when Jesus called. This is a little piece. This is from Rembrandt. I didn't draw this myself before I had coffee this morning. But, but here we have a picture of Jesus with some of his disciples. And, and I think of three words when I think of this. You look at it. It's identity, transformation, and, and fragrance. When Jesus calls you to himself, he gives you a new identity. He could even change your name. He did it to Peter. God did it to Abraham and Sarai. He breathed his own name into their names to know that there was a unity there. Sometimes if you seek the Lord, 
You find out he could breathe almost a name into your soul. You say, Dave, I've never experienced this. I know you haven't. This is why you want to continue with God. And maybe he's given you something of James or something of Paul or something of Sarah or something of Deborah. And you hear and you go, wow, God's given me a ministry of Jeremiah, of Isaiah. That's down the road, but it is a reality if God's whispered something to your soul. He gives you a new identity. He says he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness and he brought you into this place called the kingdom of God. That's why the old stuff doesn't work anymore. Have you noticed that? You know, you got too much love in you just to go back and, and try to befriend all of what it used to be because they know there's something different. And that is you've got this infusion of love coming from Jesus in your life. And so in this new identity, no matter where we were, we're all broken up people, aren't we? He knows the brokenness. He knows what we went through. He knows where we cried. He knows where we cry now. He knows our fears. He knows sometimes we feel like we don't belong anywhere. Come on. I know I'm going to be trespassing. <laughs> he knows when we feel like we don't belong anywhere. And he says, no, I've given you a new identity. You belong to me. Guess what? I'm not tossing you out. And no, you don't have to measure up. I like you. I love you. It's like the thing on Mr. Rogers. God really likes us just the way we are. But he makes us into an image of his son, Jesus. And so in that process, sometimes it's hard, and you say, if I'm your son, it seems like you walked away because my dad walked away, or you swat me because my dad swatted me, or somebody swatted me. Or the little narratives in our mind that will never measure up because our brother Vinny never measured up, or mom said, you're just like your uncle, whatever, Joey, and you go, yeah, I'm just like Uncle Joey. All that, all that false narrative. Come to Jesus. He's just saying, I've been waiting for you. I love you so much. So we get this new identity. And then we get this second piece, this, this transformation. My wife and I have a hobby. It's kind of a, maybe wonky, it's kind of a hobby. We, we look for beach glass on the beach. Anybody ever see those little pieces of glass and you know, you stick them in somebody, one person. You stick them in your pocket. You've got to go to the beach. You go to the, because remember, I'm from the beach. So you go to the beach, and you see these things, and you oh, that's kind of cool. It's all smooth, and it's beautiful, and you stick it in your pocket, and then it goes through the wash, and you forget about it. But we started collecting this stuff, so we got, like, jars of all these different colors from all over the world. And, and we didn't know this about that, that glass there's no company, there are no craftspeople that they try to do this, they try to tumble it, it doesn't work. But if it's in the surf, broken glass that can rip people up, that can cut our cells, thrown out as junk in the water, after three decades comes back as this thing which you call beach glass. If you don't know what it is, look it up. 
beautiful pieces that were once jagged, but are now beautiful to the touch. We went to a, on a vacation once in Bermuda, and there is what they call a glass beach, which means it's a secret kind of beach that is a little bit longer than this church, and it has more glass, beautiful beach glass, than sand on the beach. So we collected a lot, may we say. And Janine makes jewelry out of it at times, very beautiful. But we met this guy there, Mr. Simmons, who, who when he was a young man, he actually threw the glass out into the water because he worked for minimal, minimal wage, carrying with a donkey and a cart all this broken glass from a military base and threw it in the water. And I never knew this because I knew him for maybe five years. And one day, Mr. Simmons said to me, you know, Dave, because everybody from all over the world comes to visit this beach to find these beautiful pieces, almost looking like gems. And he said, I never knew when I was a young man so many years ago that throwing out all of that glass that was so broken and so able to cut would come back 30 years later so beautiful that people all over the world come to this beach to pick it up. It really, really challenged me to see in that life, but such a beautiful closure that that which gets thrown out comes back after the rough and tumble of constant surf, constant stress, takes all of the sharp edges off, makes us smooth to the touch and absolutely beautiful to whoever touches it. But that's kind of like our life. Maybe you've known people that have been sharp and cutting, Maybe you feel in your own life that left to the right circumstances, you can cut. Let someone jump out in front of you down on the highway here. Something just stirs it. And you find out there's still some sharp edges. Well, the beauty of Jesus is this. I don't care what it is in your life. He can change it. Am I right? He can smooth it, am I right? He has a goal of making you so beautiful in him with the orbs of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And he gets it done. He gets it done. That's the hope we have. You know, some of it, you read the word, some of it, you go through a mess. Do you ever have messes? I have messes sometimes. I create messes sometimes. I don't want to, but I do. And when I create a mess, I'm loving that the next day the sun comes up and it's a brand new day and the word says my mercies are new every morning. It's yesterday. It's last week. It's last year. You're not the person you used to be and I'm not either. And so when something comes bubbling up to the surface, it's not the end. It's just God saying, let's work on that together. And so transformation is that second piece. The third piece is this, and I don't know how you feel about it. It's called fragrance. I don't use a lot of fragrances, but this one you want. Because Jesus as our high priest, this is what he did for you when he called you to himself. Jesus, the high priest, back in the old days, the high priest had this perfume that they made for him. And it was so special that if anybody tried to manufacture it, said, you got killed. You can't use this for anything 
but the high priest and his clothes. So they say you probably smelled the high priest before you ever saw him. If the high priest of Israel came up behind you, you catch this beautiful wind of a fragrance. It's really the fragrance of God upon them. So when Christ comes as the real high priest, he is anointed with that fragrance so that the word of God says in the New Testament that you and I carry fragrance of Christ. And to those that are being saved, it is a fragrance of life. And to others, it seems like the fragrance of death. That's why when you walk through life, some people respond to you. Some people may not like you. And they may not like you, what you think, because of this, that, or the other thing. Spiritually, they may be reacting to a fragrance that's on you. So he calls us to himself. He does these things. Next slide. Well, that, well then what happens? He gives us authority. And when he gives us authority, he, he gives two pieces of that. Number one is this called the ministry of reconciliation. You and I can reconcile people to God. Why did I pick Rembrandt? Because Rembrandt did a picture called The Prodigal. If you've ever seen it, Google it. And there, right in the Hermitage Museum, where every Russian who goes to the Hermitage Museum, there in St. Petersburg, comes face to face with the picture of the father, with one hand masculine and the other hand feminine, bringing the nature of God in love and mercy, however we want to look at that, upon each person and therefore the younger brother. Henri Nouin, who's a fabulous writer on reconciliation and spiritual health and journey, he said, David, well, he didn't say it to me, but he said, as I read it, he said, every one of us, in some ways, play the part of the prodigal son or daughter. We come back to God. And every one of us at times are like that older brother who get jealous of what other people achieve in God. Come on. You know we do that. And they said every one of us play the part through God of being like the Father to welcome people back into the kingdom of God. And it's your smile. And it's your joy. And it's your loving hand that brings them back to him. And so he said, we've got this ministry of reconciliation. Now, how do we do that? Well, being given authority, we find out he's given us this thing called spiritual giftedness. We have spiritual gifts. They get birthed in us when we come to him in faith. They get energized by the filling of his Holy Spirit. But you know something? They work. Some of us can share our faith and people just come to Christ. Others of us can open conversations with people about God and it's so natural. Others of us try to do that and we just feel really awkward. But then we have gifts of teaching and gifts of mercy and gifts of pastoring, gifts of teaching. Everyone in this room has been given a spiritual gift. 
more, a collection, a constellation. You can do things in him that he empowers you to do. You say, well, Dave, I haven't seen it yet. Well, that's the adventure of life. You find out and then people tell you something. You know, when, when, you, when you talk, I learn, someone say to you. Well, you probably have a gift of teaching. When, when, when you give me mercy, I feel mercy. Because it's a gift of mercy. You know, when, when you invite me over for pizza, I come. It's not just for the pizza. It's the gift of hospitality. And everybody in this church has these spiritual gifts. And so, well, what then does he do about it? Next slide, if I would. He called his disciples to himself. He gave them authority. You have authority. Do you know that when you pray, things happen? They do. You just may not know it. God says, if you ask anything in my name, you have faith, you're, I'm going to do it. You say, well, I don't see it right away. He didn't say, he didn't say you're going to see it every, every day, every way. He said, pray it. And why do you think we don't pray? Because there's like that, that bad devil there just saying, don't pray, it doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. It does unlock things. And God hears every word. If you don't pray an hour, pray five minutes. If you can't pray for five minutes, start with one minute. If you can't pray one minute, then pray unceasingly. Just walk around town and pray. That's what, what Moody did. But so we find out, well, what does he do? He sent them out. And as he sent them out, these four things you see, he said, watch your finances. What? Yeah, watch your finances. Keep it real simple. Bring peace to people and don't be afraid. Oh, let me read that. This is what the master said. So he's there and he's teaching them. And then as he sends them out, he sends them out this way. He's blessing them, he's touching them, he's caring for them, and he says this. As you go, tell people this. The kingdom of God's here. It's here. Tell them these kind of things. He said, as you go, tell them God is here. And he said, heal the sick. You can pray for people when they get sick. Raise the dead. You've got faith. Go for it. Cleanse those who have leprosy. These are the instructions of these disciples. Drive out demons. And then he said this. Freely you have received, freely give. Watch your finances as a gospel kid. I love David Brainerd. He took nothing from anybody that he didn't need. We're not in the kingdom to make money off people. You know that. The church a lot of times winds up doing that. He said this, watch your finances. And how he did it, he just said this, hey, freely you've received. Did anybody ask you to pay for salvation? No, okay, well you freely give to people. Don't worry about the finances. And he said this, I'll go on with finances. To the disciples that he sent out, don't take any gold or silver with you or copper in your belts. Don't, don't even take a bag with you for the journey. Don't even take an extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker's worth is keep. In other words, 
Don't worry. God will take care of your finances. When David Brainerd worked with the native people back in 1740 and 50, having been kicked out of Yale, if you got kicked out of a school, don't worry, you're in good company, because David Brainerd did, and it sent him on his real mission was to care and to bring Native American people to Christ. And in there, unlike other people, he decided in his heart, I am not going to take advantage of people. I'm not going to take anything from people that I do not deserve. I'm going to teach microeconomics. I'm going to defend those individuals who do not have a voice, and that is what I'm all going to be about. And God blessed them. That's why Princeton was created and other schools because of that. And then he goes on to this whole thing about keeping it simple. This is all Jesus said. He said this. He said, whatever town or village you enter, Nyack or Nanuet or whatever, whatever town or village you find, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house and, until you leave. And as you enter the house, just give it your greeting. You don't have to give him a dialogue about everything and the nature of the world and what's good and bad. Keep it simple. Give him your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. You mean we have a peace? Yeah. And that peace can rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet. Don't worry about it. And when you leave that home or town, I tell you the truth. And he goes on and he talks about it. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And, and basically, he said, do not be afraid. Fear is such a big part of going. Well, where do we go? We go to our friends. We go to our towns. We go to people that we have relationship with. And very simply, we recognize that we've been given this powerful ministry of reconciliation. Well, how do we put this all together? Jesus is absolutely incredible. He is with you and with me all the time. He leads us. There may be people even in relationship with those that you meet who've been praying for somebody who knows God to come into their life. Did you ever think that you may be the absolute answer to prayer of a relative of a person that you are entering into relationship who doesn't yet know Jesus, that you could help them in the ministry of reconciliation? Personally, I love getting to know people. I love keeping it simple. Jesus is the amazing one. He's the hands of which the prodigal painting is all about. I encourage you to Google that painting and realize that all of us in our lives are kind of like the prodigal son, kind of like the older brother, and yet we play this beautiful piece of welcoming, like the father, people into the kingdom of God. Keep it simple. Know it's about Jesus. He calls you to himself. He gives you very real authority that you will find as you keep walking 
is world-changing because it's in the kingdom. And then let him send you to jobs, to neighborhoods, to people around you, and recognize as a new thing, we take nothing from them, freely we've received, freely we give, the peace that is in our heart can be transferred to them, though their world is one without peace, if they welcome you and welcome the king into their lives. Remember, you have a fragrance. You cannot lose that fragrance. It's on you because the high priest gave it to you. This is why when you go to work, some people react against you and some welcome you. It's not you necessarily. It's the fact that when you walk into any situation, the king of the universe walks in there with you. And most of all, it's a wonderful adventure. So be blessed. Let's see what God's going to do in these next months and years. Don't be afraid. And when something bubbles up inside of you with an idea, bring it to the church that we may be as God wants us to be, that new creation, that craft church in his name. Amen.